Episode two. Still yeah, with me? A, yeah, we made it to episode two. Hey, we haven't been canceled yet. <laughs> no, not yet. Jason, you're not trying hard enough. If we haven't been canceled by episode two, you are, uh, man, you're slacking, bro. Well, if you want me to, I can sure get on social media and make some efforts. <laughs> dear, dear Twitter, today we learned about whatever. Um, now, I know the last time we were here, I said we were going to talk more about Tradiciones Custodes. Honestly, I think I've said everything I want to say about it. How about how do you feel? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm in the same boat. I mean, a lot of it would probably just be rehashing what we've already talked about in many ways. Instead, we have a unique opportunity this week. Um, so this episode is going to drop on Sunday, and Sunday is a very important feast day. Um, the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And we thought this would be an excellent opportunity to make an episode dedicated to Our Lady. And um, with that, I think before we kick things off, we're going we're gonna to say some prayers. We're going to invoke the divine blessing and uh, invoke Our Lady's intercession on our endeavors. And hopefully we'll have a, a pretty edifying discussion. All right. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritui Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, et benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, et benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, et benedicta tua mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritui Sancti. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Jason, is it, uh, is it I always, I always kind of get confused, is it uh, Sancti or San, uh, Santos at the end of that one? Uh, in so in, in the the Ave Maria is uh, Ave Maria Gratia Plena Dominus Tecum. No, no, no. In the when we say in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, oh, yeah, Holy yeah, yeah. Spirit. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Okay, good. I had it right. I know sometimes I may unintentionally mix those up. Well, it, it because in in sort of like when when they do the colic prayer at, at Holy Mass, I think it is different because they'll say um, at the end. Um, Per Dominum Nostrum, Jesum Christum, Filium Tuum, Quiticum Vivis et Regnat in Unitati, Spiritus Sancti. No, it is Spiritus Sancti. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think in the Glory B, it's it's different. It's not Sancti, right? Let's, I think it is uh, in, in Gloria Patri et Filia. Gloria Patri et Filia et Spiritus Sancti. It is, okay. Apparently, I need to take some more Latin classes. Well, you know, Latin is <laughs> one of those things, and... Um, 
I, I it took me a I'm still learning, and I still I I, I try to pray the the uh, the monastic office. So I I pray the office of Louds, and I pray I try to pray Louds, Vespers, and Compline every day. And I try to do it in Latin. I have a uh, the Benedictine um, office, the the diurnal, which is the daytime hours. Um, and every once in a while, I will come across a word, and I will stumble clumsily through that word. <laughs> there was a, there's a, there's a word in one of the Laudate Psalms, bensonationibus. Oh man, I had a I had a time with that. Let me tell you. Well, you know, t- talking about stumbling through words, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm going to stumble through uh, this apostolic constitution from um, from Pope Pius the Twelfth, Muni Fincentissimus Deus. Hey, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Meaning the, the most bountiful God. The most bountiful God. And what does Munificissimus Deus? Oh, see, I can't even say it. Munifin. <laughs> Muni fi centissimus Deus. What is that encyclical? Or actually, it's an apostolic constitution. Right. Uh, what is that ap- apostolic constitution about? Well, it's uh, you know, it's it's about an ancient and traditionally held uh, belief of um, of early Christians, the early church fathers, and you even see this belief in the ancient liturgies, both in the East and the West. Um, we in the West call it the Assumption of Mary. Our mm-hmm. our brothers in the East, in the Eastern Catholic churches, call it the Dormition or the following falling asleep of the Theo, Theotokos. Yeah, yeah. Theotokos, a uh, big fancy Greek word meaning Mother of God. Um, yep. Council of Ephesus. Yeah, yeah. That's where you know that's where that came out of. And this is kind of an interesting feast day of Our Lady because. Um, it is in, in what I would guess you would call the culmination or the consequence of the Immaculate Conception and a life spent at the service of, 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 of at, in the beginning, God, obviously, actually, in fact, God through her whole life. But of course, after the establishment of the church, a life spent in service to the early church and, um, this is, it's a prefigurement of what awaits us. Am I correct? No, that's correct. And hopefully, you know, hopefully, if, yeah, we're, hopefully. if we're good, <laughs> if we're good boys and girls, it's a, it's a prefigurement of what awaits us. By the grace of God, right? Indeed. Um, no, but it's, uh, I mean, you're right. And Pope Pius XII, in his uh, apostolic constitution, he, he makes, you know, the claim and he shows how the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption are closely related and if any of our listeners haven't read this this document i I highly recommend it because you know many times people of uh, other faiths even other you know christian faiths or denominations will uh well because this this was infallibly declared only 71 years ago in 1950. right it's pretty recent yes it's recent but it's not a uh as some like to claim it's not a uh, a new invention of the Catholic Church. It's when, so the Constitution you, is recent, but the belief of right. what the Constitution is talking about is actually, I mean, dates back to the first centuries of uh, that dates back to the apostles themselves. Obviously, they were witnesses to the event. Right, so. right, and and you know, in this uh, uh, Apostolic Constitution, Pope Pius the Twelfth 
he doesn't mention any of the fanciful apocryphal writings that came that came after you know the the assumption um he he found everything he says is founded in truth and tradition and even scripture in aspects and uh I, I know that may come to a surprise to many people but he even uses scripture to um, argue the assumption but you also have to understand typology and the importance that plays in in the bible and in tradition in order to understand uh how we've come to this this belief in the assumption well i think typology is is essential uh to to, to understanding well, they, yeah, I think it was Scott Hahn who said that the, and he always had this great saying, and I loved it. He said, um, the, the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New, but the New Testament lies hidden in the Old. Well, that's actually from St. Augustine. Is it St. Augustine? I know Scott Hahn yeah. used to say that, but yeah, I, uh, I did not know that was Augustine originally, so um, good, good catch. Um, there, my favorite instance of typology is actually uh, our Lord. Um, you know, Moses did not walk into the promised land. He got everybody right up to the promised land, but they they fell just short. The promised land, Canaan, being a prefigurement of the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God, okay? And who is it that actually leads Israel into the prefigurement of, of Canaan? A man named Yeshua, right? Right, jo yep, right, Joshua. Jesus. Yeah, who Jesus is named after. So Joshua right. is a prefigurement of the Christ who will lead his people into. Yeah, so prefigurement is very important, very important. And, you know, and I don't want to jump the, the gun too quick here, but in this, um, in this topic today of the Assumption of Our Lady, uh, the typology between the old ark and the new ark are very important in understanding why yes, sir. uh mary was assumed versus just rotten in the grave like the rest of us right right and the ark of the covenant um yeah that's i was having this uh i i don't know if other people have made this connection it's occurred to me the mystery of the missing ark you know the the ark of the covenant being such an important thing, and yet it is not listed among the things that the Babylonians carried out of the temple during the first during the Babylonian exile, or, or at the beginning of the Babylonian exile. It just sort of is. It just sort of gone. It goes missing, right? It's 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 not it's not around anymore. Um, that's kind well, of an. It, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that that just kind of that was always. I thought that was an interesting way to think about the Ark and Our Lady as the Ark of the New Covenant, not sort of being subjected to an earthly demise in, in, in the same sense that we are. I don't know. That was, that was just a sort of a, I don't know if the, that's a, a real good connection, but it's just sort of those things that occurred to me no. in the middle, middle of the night. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're right on that. And you know, this idea that the, the ark was lost, um, I think is actually revealed when you read revelation, uh, 12 Well, actually backing up, to Revelation 11, it talks about the the doors being open, you know, and inside there's the Ark of the Covenant, mm -hmm. and then and then it goes into uh, I believe at that point around that time goes into Revelation 12 and talks about uh, the woman and and so on and so forth, and of course you know in Revelation 12 the woman can symbolize you know the church or Israel, but it, it it's personified in Mary, just like the child is 
uh, or Jesus is personified in the child, and of course the dragon, uh, the uh, you know Satan, the devil personifies him. So um, we see that Mary, I believe, in Revelation is the Ark of the New Covenant, without a doubt. Now, when we say Ark of the New Covenant, I mean that I think if to the uninitiated or people who've never maybe never heard that that term before, what are we talking about when we call Mary the Ark of the New Covenant? Well, you know, you've got to go back to the Old Testament and 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 find out what did the old ark carry? Yeah, uh, what what contents did it have that were extremely important to the the Israelites? And also, what did it what did it symbolize? And what was it? Because you know, it it was God's um, resting place, if that's the right, right term, on, on earth. You know, when he would when he would uh, descend upon the Israelites. Yeah, and it had it had inside of it the the the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments that were Which represented uh, the law, right? And and the Word of God, the the the, the, right. the logos. Um, right. It also had the manna from heaven, so the bread of life. You know that that the, there's a prefigurement, there's a Eucharistic prefigurement there, and it had in it the staff of Aaron. Um, so there's uh, there's um, so the things that are all there together are the logos a Eucharistic prefigurement and a symbol of priestly kingship, a priestly yeah. authority. I was going to say, not just a priestly, but you know, the high priest, it was right. Right. It, you know? Um, and of course, Mary carried all three of those inside her womb. Um, you know, when she was, um, when, when she was, when Jesus was forming inside her womb, you know, Jesus is our bread from heaven. He is the bread of life. Um, he is our high priest and mm -hmm. uh, he is—he he is the eternal word. He is, you know, the new law. And and I think and and even more so because the those things which were in the Ark of the Covenant were, they were prefigurements, but they were imperfect prefigurements, right? So um, you know, the 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 staff of Aaron was a symbol of priest high, the priestly authority of the high priest, but the but the the priesthood. Uh, the Levitic priesthood was not the perfect priesthood. Um, the 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 words that were written were um, it was the real word of God, but it wasn't the word of God personified. Correct. Right. But when Christ is present in Our Lady's womb, he is he's not just a symbol of the word of God. He is the word of God. He is, he's not yes. a symbol. Like there's no priestly authority in the staff of Aaron itself. It's a symbol of priestly authority. Christ is not a symbol of priestly authority. He is priestly. He is the priestly Davidic king. He is the perfection of that. Correct. Indeed. Absolutely. So in, in, in that sense, Our Lady as the Ark of the Covenant is, it makes the original Ark, the one Indiana Jones is looking for, look like sort of just a, a, a poor, you know, representation of something that was going to come that was greater. And like the old Ark of the Covenant, you know, the, the Ark of the Covenant, God didn't just say, I need you guys to build me a box. Any old box will do. I don't care. Uh, it can be cardboard. It can be whatever. It had to be specific cubits by specific cubits. It had to be inladen with gold. It had to have jewels. and It had to be a fitting seat for Adonai, uh, Yahweh Elohim, right? The Adonai. 
And um, so if that's true for these things, which are mere symbols, prefigurements of the Christ that is to come, how much more perfect does the ark that holds that covenant need to be? Right. And, um, you know, the, the ark itself also was to be, to be viewed in a certain way, you know, in a very reverent way. It was also to be carried in a specific way. And, you know, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name where he reached up to touch the ark when it was tipping over and God struck him dead. Um, man, I can't think of his name right now. I'm drawing a blank on it, but it just shows that if this old ark, we, we mentioned we're not professional theologians, didn't we, ladies and gentlemen? Yes, we <laughs> yeah. did. Uzzah. I think his name. Yeah, Uzzah. It was Uzzah. I remember okay. now. Wow. I guess you know, better than I could do. I didn't remember be, that. Because, you know, they, the Israelites didn't actually, weren't carrying it the way that God prescribed them to, to carry it. So, of course, like many things in our lives, if we try to do things differently than what God tells us, we usually end up in error or stumbling <laughs> or falling, you know? Right, right. But, and... and Uzzah, you know, in our in our viewpoint, necessarily didn't do anything wrong. He was just trying to keep it from falling. But God was very strict on do not, you know, you cannot touch this ark. And God struck him dead. So to me, that that opens up, you know, I'm not going to get off topic, but opens up the the holiness and the and the perpetual the, virginity that perpetual which you cannot virgin- touch. Exactly, she was but untouchable. But it, but that tells you if Mary's the ark of the new covenant. If God treated the Ark of the Old Covenant that way, just imagine how much more He's going to be protective of exactly. His new Ark, and how much He is not going to let that see decay, uh, you know, bodily decay, and uh, you know, He's just He's just going to uh, honor His, you know, as Jesus as her Son honors His mother, so she, you know, what? Why am I not going to do the same thing? I I, I just kind of get agitated now, and and I used to be guilty of this too in many ways. Uh, maybe not flat out right saying it, but before my conversion, I guess maybe that's why it hits home with me a little bit. Is is I get I get a little agitated when people act like Mary was just a vessel that that God used and discarded like a like just a piece of trash or something. Okay, I've used you. You're out of right. here. I right. mean that's you're, you're not that's you're just, not. Thanks for letting me borrow your biological material to it and, and walk upon the face of the earth in the most historically significant thing that's ever happened in all of human history. Have a nice day. Yeah, and 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 did God need to use Mary to 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 for Jesus to to come to earth? Of course not. I mean, I'm not going to limit the power of God, but the fact that God chose Mary from the foundations of the world speaks volume how we should should view her, look at her, and love her. And this, and it, and it goes to another uh, indication of the assumption, or something that we teach about the assumption that theologians will tell you that the assumption is something that is a pure grace and gift of God. It is not a logical consequence of anything. It's not something that we determine happened. If if this and this are true, then this must be true. The assumption is something that is that comes down to us from the deposit of faith handed down to us by the apostles as an event that happened. Um, and for those of you who, if there's anybody listening to this podcast who does just doesn't know what the assumption is, I think uh, we ought to go ahead and say it. And there's a um, the doctrine that was 
defined in 1950 by Pope Pius XII that Catholics are obliged to believe as part of the deposit of faith is, we proclaim and define it to be a dogma revealed by God that the Immaculate Mother of God, Mary Ever Virgin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into the glory of heaven. Right? So that's, so that's the assumption. She was assumed body and soul into heaven. Um, and you know, no, when, when no, I was going to say when Pope Pius, whenever the twelfth, whenever he defined the 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 assumption, you know, like I'm reading from uh, some theologians and and everything, they make the point that Pope Pius was very minimal in his in his definition of it, meaning he didn't make a, a dogmatic uh, claim she died then was rose or that she was taken straight from Earth because you know there's. There's deferring viewpoints on that, you know, even though the early church, uh, from all the writings we can gather from, from, you know, from the fourth century and 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 from that time period, they it seems like the Christians were pretty unanimous that she died, but her body did not see corruption because God assumed her. Now, people can make the the argument that because of the immaculate conception, because she was sinless, that you know, as a result, she may have not have seen. Uh, death. While I can see that, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that viewpoint. Just because you know, when God makes that proclamation to Adam and Eve after they sin, He says, "To dust you shall return." You know, if if God took Mary before her body saw corruption, uh, or you know, obviously she never returned to dust, so she wasn't since she was not tainted with original sin, she did not suffer the same fate. But I'm kind of getting off topic there, but. God, God Himself, um, you know, assumed her into heaven, and that uh, body and soul, which is a, an important distinction, and right. uh, you know, th that's what Pope Pius XII is dogmatically declaring that Catholics all over the world must believe that in order to, um, you know, in order to call themselves Catholic, Catholic, <laughs> and to, yeah, to be in uh, communion be in with full the, communion. the teachings of the Church. You know, I I'm kind of. So uh, coming from the the tradition of the West and the and the Latin Rite Church, I do subscribe to the theory that Mary did undergo bodily death, and was um, was resurrected from the dead by Christ and in, into her glorified body, which is something that the Catholic Church teaches will happen to the saints at the final judgment, um, and so in a sense it's. It's not something that's special or unique just to her, but only, well, it is in the sense that it happened um, because she was not, she didn't need to be judged. She was, she loved to sit, she led a sinless life. Um, and I know that uh, John Paul II had something very beautiful to say on this issue of, uh, of Our Lady's whether or not she died or whether she would just, as the, as the, the East, as our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox would say that she just fell asleep or a dormition. Um, in 1997, he gave this general audience. Um, and I just want to read this quick paragraph. I thought it was really beautiful. He said, okay. it is true that in revelation, death is presented as a punishment for sin. However, the fact that the church proclaims Mary free from original sin by a unique divine privilege does not lead to the conclusion that she also received physical immortality. The mother is not superior to the son who underwent death, giving it a new meaning and changing it into a means of salvation. 
Involved in Christ's redemptive work and associated with his saving sacrifice, Mary was able to share in his suffering and death for the sake of humanity's redemption. What Severus of Antioch says about Christ also applies to her. Without a preliminary death, how could she? How could the resurrection have taken place? To share in Christ's resurrection, Mary had first to share in his death. The New Testament provides no information on the circumstances of Mary's death. The silence leads one to suppose that it happened naturally, with no detail particularly worthy of mention. If this were not the case, how could the information about it have remained hidden from her contemporaries and not have been passed down to us in some way? As to the cause of Mary's death, the opinions that wish to exclude her from death by natural causes seem groundless. It is more important to look for the Blessed Virgin's spiritual attitude at the moment of her departure from this world. In this regard, St. Francis de Sales maintains that Mary's death was due to a transport of love. He speaks of a dying in love, from love, and through love, going so far as to say that the Mother of God died of love for her son Jesus. Whatever from the physical point of view was the organic biological cause of the end of her bodily life, it can be said that for Mary, the passage from this life to the next was the full development of grace and glory so that no death can ever be so fittingly described as a dormition as hers. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm kind of speechless, so. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, no, I, I can't add anything to that. <laughs> I, I, I ran across that today, uh, bef- right just before the podcast. I went, well, that's going in. That's going in the podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you know, they, um, man, I, I don't know. I, I kind of got, I'm just trying to mull over some of those right there that you said. A mother who died of love for her son, Jesus. That's from the Treatise on the Love of God, Book 7, uh, Chapter 8 through eight through 14, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was very, very, that was, I thought that was a very powerful meditation. But nonetheless, if you, if you believe that she did not die a physical death, you're not in heresy. That's the important thing, Correct. I think, to... Uh, to glean from this yeah and that's now, why that's why i brought up the point that it was you know that the that the point is always made as minimally defined by by pope Pius the 12. now jason aren't we aren't we just are we deifying mary are we taking glory away from our lord and and giving it to mary in in an idolatrous way um is this some are the protestants right about that well, I'll put it like this, you know, when whenever I'm doing the rosary with my family and my children, I like to, um, most of the time, the, the older the older kids, I got two older girls, they they pretty much have all the answers. Well, they do have all the answers down pat. So I'm kind of focusing on my my younger kids, my boys right now. Mm-hmm. But but I like to when we would go over the glorious mysteries, and you know, and we doing the rosary every time we come across the ascension. I will, one of the questions I ask is, what is the ascension? And and then, you know, they'll tell me that's when Jesus went to heaven. And I always make the point, did Jesus go, did he ascend into heaven under his own power? Or did he need help? And of course they say, by his own power. Right. When, when we get to uh, Mary being assumed into heaven, I ask him the same question. When a Mary was, or what what is assuming, she was taken into heaven, I ask the question, is uh, did she go to heaven on her own power or by God's power? 
And of course, they say, by God's power. That right there, for me personally, I'm like, if I deified Mary, why would I make that distinction to my children? Yeah, yeah. And I think also there's there, there's something, and I think we touched on this sort of at the beginning of the of, of our discussion here, what happened to Mary at her assumption is not something that will only happen to her and will not happen to anybody else. What happened to her is the fulfillment of the promise that Christ made to the saints. Um, we are at the end of time, Christ is coming back. And when he does, the dead will wake up and we will be judged. And those who are judged worthy will be united with him in our glorified bodies. Now that's something that's something very important because I think there's a there, there is sort of this sense out there that um, the soul goes to heaven but the body stays here in the ground and rots. That is not what the Catholic Church teaches. No, not right? at all. And and that's part of what the def, you know, that kind of I know we kind of got I feel like we got a little ahead of ourselves on, on some of it because we didn't talk, you know, anything. And I don't know if you wanted to necessarily talk about the, the historical aspect of why Pope Pius the 12th decided in 1950 to define this dogma. But that's a very good story. We should we should talk about that because that is interesting. But, you know, it, it goes back to what you're saying. You have all the way back to to the early church. You have Gnostic heresies who says the the body the material world is evil the spirit is good well i mean we we still have that heresy floating around today you know and some new age groups and you know say christian science mm -hmm. and 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 during the time when pope Pius declared this you had you know we, we had all the turmoil from world war ii you had atheistic communism starting to spread after world war ii the church was being and you can even make the claim today that the church is still being affected by uh, relativism, uh, evolution, and not necessarily is evolution right or wrong, but in such a way that it denies your first parents, right. you know, Adam and Eve, and, den and denies absolute truths. And the uniqueness of human dignity. Yeah, it, Exactly. And, and Pope Pius actually wrote about that, too, in uh, Humani Gener Generis, if uh, I said that right. Uh, humani, humani, uh, humani genius. Now that was Leo the Thirteenth, right? Or am I wrong? No, uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> but but I had did it I, down. Did I mention, folks, that we're not professional theologians? <laughs> What's a theologian? <laughs> yeah. What is what is theology? I don't even know what that means. Um, but but I, yeah, continue because no, no. But but, but but either point, you know, he he believed that by defining this infallibly. You know, again, he wasn't making something up, but by defining this infa infallibly, he wanted to make the point, what you were just talking about, that the body is sacred and so is the person, which includes body and soul. Absolutely. And then are, after, and, no, I'm sorry, well, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that's one of the unique things to me about Catholicism. One of the most beautiful things is in, in, the, in Catholicism, God is not just up there in his heaven somewhere. He is, he is down here. He's with us. I, I'm going to go um, to Mass. This is being recorded on Saturday evening. It'll, it'll drop on Sunday. But I'm going to go to Mass tomorrow and receive him, not just in some sort of, 
like he's going to come into my soul or he's going to, I'm, I'm going to unite spiritually with him. No, I'm going to receive him physically, his physical resurrected body on my physical, on my physical, un, you know, corruptible body, but hopefully one day resurrected body. I'm, we're going to unite, not just spiritually, but physically, it's going to be full communion and it's going to be beautiful and I can't wait. But it is, it is something unique about the Catholic religion that are, um, it is a, a religion that knows what to do with the physical world. We don't just sort of ignore it or see it as something that distracts us from the true reality of things. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, and and I, I have a quote here. I, I don't really know the proper time for it, but I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say it now. Just kind of try to... Now's a good time as any, bud. I'm going to try to uh, 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 walk into it here. So Okay. You know, we're we're talking about the assumption. We're talking about the differences between Catholics and other religions. We're talking about why Pope Pius XII came from it. And I know, you know, you you can you can look at the mystics. I actually uh, read those chapters in the Life of Mary as seen by the mystics earlier today. Mm. Um, you know, we Father talked about it last night in our nights meeting. He did. So I went I went back home, when I got home today. Well, last night when I woke up this morning, I went ahead and, and read it. But, you know, they make the argument that, you know, the assumption, the belief, according to the mystics, goes back to the apostles, which, again, Pope Pius doesn't use apocryphal writings or mystics to make his argument. But I think, you know, it's interesting to to, to read those. Um, I know not everybody um, believes in mystics or their ability, but that that beside the point... And uh, Saint Peter Canisius, is that how you say it? Uh, can I, I? I always call it Kansius, but yeah, I mean, I, okay. I don't know that I have the. I don't know hey, that I have it right either. But I, I thought you were the professional theologian. <laughs> uh, no, no, I am definitely not a professional theologian. So, but you know, he lived around the 1500s. Mm -hmm. So, what 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 are we at? Uh, what 600 years ago, roughly? Yeah. No, not 600. That'd be 21. But anyway, we're 500 plus years from him. Ma but math is hard. Math is hard. Yeah. So he writes, uh, or he, he's, he's written in Munticificimus Deus. Uh, he's quoted in there saying, talking about the assumption, this teaching has already been accepted for centuries. It has been held as certain in the minds of the pious people and it has been taught to the entire church in such a way that those who deny those who deny that Mary's body has been assumed into heaven are not to be listened to patiently, but are everywhere to be denounced as over contentious or rash men, and as imbued with a spirit that is heretical rather than Catholic. Man. I mean he lays the hammer down. That's I like that because I know some people who don't believe in the assumption and I, this means I don't have to be patient with them anymore. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's, you can, um, that's you comforting. Can, you can be impatiently charitable. Oh, man. I or charitably impatient. But you, whichever you way know, you go. Jason, you're really boxing me in with your rules here, man. I'm just letting you know. Well, I'm just a legalist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Please don't do that. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I mean, going back to what you were just talking about, um, you know, uh, 
I think it was uh, Pope Pius the Ninth who um, he sort of did a canvassing of Catholic bishops before he was proclaiming the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And Pius XII did the same thing here, right? He asked uh, all the bishops for their opinion on this. And uh, are, are you uh, sort of up to speed on this story? Yes, I am. Yeah, tell us about that. You're probably more up to speed on this than I am, probably. But well, I, I don't know. You're, <laughs> you're, you're. Well, see, in both of them, you're talking about where Pope Pius XII sent out his his uh, letters to all the bishops of the world, asking what they believe. Correct, as right, far as right. the. Okay, yeah, I just want to make sure I understood you right. So yeah, no, he sends out he sends out letters, and here let me let me get it right here so that I don't um, lie to you here. Yeah, we don't want to so, tell lies on Tradman. So he he asked in. Uh, in number 11 here on his apostolic constitution, um, do you venerable brethren in your outstanding wisdom and prudence judge that the bodily assumption of the blessed virgin can be proposed and defined as a dogma of faith? Do you with your clergy and people desire it? And then he goes on to say, um, but those whom the Holy spirit has placed as bishops to rule the church of God gave an almost unanimous affirmative response to both these questions that is huge to me i mean and of course you got to understand we live in a day in which uh the pope you know basically surveys seven bishops who already agree with him and then won't talk to anybody else and then issues draconian things from up top oh yeah that's right we're not talking about that anymore sorry um <laughs> but but in those days i mean to say to 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 stand up for the truths of a Catholic Church wasn't controversial among the bishops. Well, think what of, the heck happened? Well, think <laughs> of, think of, think about this. He says in this in his letter here, or Apostolic Constitution, he says that it was almost unanimous, and it's not like you're talking about five, ten bishops, right? Right. Right. Think of go, all. Think of how many bishops there are in the world. Well, go. Go back to the Arian controversy when they were defining who Jesus was. Was he fully God, fully man? Was he, you know, half God, half, half man. God, you know, depending on what state of life he was in at that point? Right. You didn't even get the bishops to unanimously agree on that because that was a contentious subject around that time. Right. I think Arius had to, uh, I think, I think St. Nicholas, uh, Arius caught those hands. If I'm not well, mistaken, you know what? That should become my favorite Christmas time story. <laughs> <laughs> now you talk about, you know, you don't have to listen to these people or, or treat them with any patience. I think Nicholas, I think Nicholas took that to heart, man. Well, well, we also don't know how many times Nicholas had been patient with him. That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. But anyway, I digress. Maybe I should say St. Saint, Saint Nicholas. Maybe I should be Saint more St. Nicholas, respectful. pray for us. Pray, pray for, for us. us. So. Well, yeah, no, I, and, um. I think what, you know, one of the quotes, and let me see, where is this quote from? Like I even know. Oh, it's from uh, <laughs> Muni Ficentissimus Deus. Oh, we'll just start, we'll, we'll just start saying MD. Yeah. Oh, I want to, I want, I want to make sure, let's see, Muni, Muni, Chen, Muni Ficentissimus Deus. You know, okay. I okay. I should I sh if you're saying it correctly, I should be able to say it because you keep saying my my last name in the beginning. <laughs> I I let's I do oh Mooney that's right yeah there you go there you go <laughs> all right all right but uh, one of the quotes actually God 
who from all eternity regards Mary with a most favorable and unique affection, has, when the fullness of time came, put the plan of his providence into effect in such a way that all the bishops and uh, the, uh, I'm sorry, has put his plan of his, put the plan of his providence. Okay, Mark, Mark, Mark. Let's read. Deep the breath. Quote. And, you know, I know math <laughs> is hard, but come on, bro. You're a lawyer. You need to know how to read. Okay, let's try this one more time. Actually, God, who from all eternity regards Mary with a most favorable and unique affection, has, when the fullness of time came, put the plan of his providence into effect in such a way that all the privileges and prerogatives he had granted to her in his sovereign generosity were to shine forth in her in a kind of perfect harmony. And although the church has always recognized the supreme generosity and the perfect harmony of graces, and has daily studied them more and more throughout the course of the centuries. Still, it is in our own age that the privilege of the bodily assumption into heaven of Mary, the Virgin Mother of God, has certainly shone forth more clearly. Boom. Headshots. Headshot, man. I mean, <laughs> this, I mean this, 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 in, this uh, Constitution was... And... One of the neat things about it is when um, the, the ceremony in which it was uh, proclaimed um, was, was attended by, my gosh, how many bishops were at this thing? I mean, it was that huge. I do not know. I didn't even look that up. But I mean, I mean, th th this is so close in our lifetime that you can you can see footage of it. The proclamation, Pope Pius XII right. being lifted up and, and uh, just people celebrating. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a, this was a, this was a huge event. It was not seen as, oh, well, I can't believe he's going to do that. He's going to make us look so bad. Now, nowadays, nowadays, there'd be so many bishops who would be like, oh, there he is. He's going to proclaim more truth and that's not going to play well for us on CNN. So well, we better not do that. And, well, Mark, let, let me ask you, since you're asking me questions, let me ask you a question. Hit me. I got you here. All right. So all right. if. If this was such an important dogma that was given to us from the deposit of faith, because as Catholics, we believe, what, that the deposit of faith ceased with the last apostle, right? Now, the right. understanding of that deposit of faith evolves. You know, you, you can read about Johnny, John Henry Newman and his development of uh, doctrine, mm -hmm. uh, which everybody should. But anyway... My question to you is: Is if this is if this is a, a dogma from the deposit of faith, why don't we hear about it in the New Testament and say pretty much from the first four centuries of the church before we start seeing writings about it? To my knowledge, I, I don't know if there's anything earlier. Yeah, well, there there are there are um, you know apocryphal writings on this event. Um, they did. It was. They were not included in any of the texts that were included into the canon of the New Testament. Um, mostly, I think, because it was not a. It was not a controversial or. It was sort of one of those things that everybody just sort of knew, and you didn't need to provide any proof texts for or, or. Um, or, or illustration of it in any of the, the, for example, the book of Acts, or if it was going to appear anywhere, it probably would have appeared in the book of Acts. So that's the, that is the, the one book that talks about things that just happened to the apostles and the early church after the ascension of the Lord. So 
Um, and it is commonly held that the author of Luke is the same author of Acts. So the you know as we would we would hold out that Saint Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. If you know there's some scholarly consensus that there was a different author, I don't know. I'm not well I'm not qualified Luke, to talk on that, but I can. And tell Luke you that, is uh, Luke has been considered a, a Marian gospel, big you know, time, big so. time. And it is it is commonly understood in the scholar in the biblical scholarly world that um, the same that Luke and the Acts of the Apostles share the same author. In fact, in if you go to a one of those academic Bible conferences, um, they'll usually talk about Luke Acts as this as kind of the same thing right. um yeah luke talks about the incarnation and we get we get the hail mary from the gospel of luke mm. but yeah it doesn't talk about the the assumption of the virgin mary but um i don't i, I, I as to why it's not in any of the canonical books of the bible um that would be my guess but you know, I, I don't know. I can tell you that when the books were being assembled and that when, you know, when Jerome is translating the Bible um, into Latin, this is not a controversial um, thing to believe in. It's sort of, it's sort of a given. And if, if there was not consensus for this or this was a, a, something that they invented and wanted people to believe, even though it hadn't historically been believed, it would have been added into the Bible then, I think. But it's it's the fact that everybody believed it in the sixth century, and it's largely left out of the Bible, tells me this is just one of those common things that everybody just sort of knew. No, I I agree with you there, and and if you don't mind, I'll add my my own thoughts to it um just to kind of to add on to that because yeah that you know that that is part of my reasoning behind it but the, the other part is is why why were many so so when you read when you read the new testament you've got your gospels which of course tell the the good news about jesus mm -hmm. then you have your letters and what do those letters in the new testament well besides well acts isn't a letter i'm talking about the letters specifically like corinthians thessalonians the pauline galatians and the, and the Petrine right. letters yeah and, mm -hmm. so they are addressing issues in the church at the time that are happening at these specific churches why why are councils called like from the council of jerusalem in acts 15 to the council of nicaea council of ephesus they are all are addressing issues in the church that where where people are debating you know divine truths right and the church through the guidance of the holy spirit is is defining what these are in my opinion if you look at these early councils in the new testament specifically they were addressing bigger more dogmatic issues particularly did jesus die did he rise from the dead because you know you had your gnostics at the time of the new testament was being written who said it just seemed as jesus died on the cross or he didn't rise from the dead or he didn't really die right and then later on you had people denying like we said the arians you had them denying the divinity of jesus and you had all kinds of other controversial issues going on <clears throat> because if you can't define who jesus is then you can't define who mary yeah. is and you're and, yeah, and, you can't and, go and, further than that you're stuck yeah right? and, and if you can't do that you're uh, <laughs> i i don't mean if this sounds disrespectful i don't mean for to be 
But if you can't define who Jesus is, you're wasting your time on defining all these other topics, yeah. like the assumption of Mary, because Jesus, of course, you know, is is the you know the the number one, the reason we have our faith, the reason we have our salvation, and he's the reason that we do everything we we do, right? Right. Once you define that, then you could start looking at the other truths as div- as uh, given in the deposit of faith. And as you understand one truth better, you will then start to understand another truth better, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Right. And and those are just kind of my thoughts. Is that at the time the assumption of Mary was, from all accounts, historically was widely believed already. It wasn't in dispute. And then our and then the church leaders were fighting other heresies on who Jesus was. So hmm. it makes sense that this wouldn't be in the New Testament because as Catholics, of course, we don't believe that the that you know we believe in in scripture and tradition, right? Well, we don't believe scripture comes to us from tradition. Comes from us, yes, exactly. And we don't believe that scripture is necessarily a blueprint for how we should conduct every little aspect of our life. Because, you know, scripture was written at a certain time, a certain place for certain people with truths that we are to, you know, uh, uh, follow with, you know, it has absolute truths that we should not deny. And we believe it is infallibly inspired by God. Mm -hmm. But we also view it differently. We don't believe everything we uh, have to believe is in the New Testament because we believe in the magisterium, which is the Holy Spirit, God. We believe in tradition and we believe in scripture. And that's why we say in some ways that we as Catholics have the fullness of faith. Yeah. I mean, well, there's, you know, the here, and this goes back to an an old argument about sola scriptura versus uh, scripture and tradition. First of all, obviously, as we just stated, if, if tradition is not to be counted, then we can't count the scripture either because the scripture comes, the scripture is a manifestation of holy tradition. Um, And there are, uh, you know, we're talking about, what's in the Bible and what's not in the Bible. There's something I think people sort of need to understand. And, and it is that um, Mary is not a Catholic thing, particularly. Mary was actually a very famous person in the ancient Near East. People knew who she was. She was not some obscure person that nobody thought about until the middle ages and then the catholic church just sort of made her a thing and here's something i think a lot of people don't understand did you know that mary and i i know i'm getting i i I know i know we're gonna get hate mail for this are you ready to get some hate mail (laughs) you know what this is what i've been waiting for since i started a podcast um mary is big in islam I was about to tell you the same thing yeah and and i believe she's the only woman mentioned in the quran I, I don't know if she's the only, well, no, because I think there's like, like it? it's like Sarah um, and. Uh, oh, you're uh, right. You're right. I'm, I'm okay. You're right. She, you're right. she is the only woman that uh, an entire, an entire uh, uh, chapter of the Quran is named after. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Well, Sorry, it's interesting I'm... what, what Muslims believe about Mary, which is interesting to me. And, you know, I know this isn't a podcast about Islam, but I'm using this bear with me to illustrate a larger point. They believe that, Mary was con- that Mary was that she never committed a sin in her entire life that she was you know preserved from and I, I can't remember exactly how they phrase it or the thing that they use but they they don't say conceived without sin 
but they say that she was not attracted to evil. Uh, there was something about her that she was not attracted to evil. Um, they claim that Jesus, who they believe was a prophet, we believe obviously is the son of God, was born of the divine, was conceived of the divine spirit. Now that's very interesting because they don't believe in the Trinity. And I've, I've, I've asked several Muslims, well, okay, so what is the divine spirit? And the answer I get is usually, well, Islamic scholars don't think a lot about that. And I'm like, okay, I bet they don't. But anyway, um, interestingly enough, the assumption of Mary is something that it's not spelled out in Quran or, or in any of the hadiths or anything like that, but um, there are Islamic scholars who have stated that the, uh, and I think one of them being Martin Lings, who is a contemporary Muslim scholar, um, he sort of accepts the assumption as being a historical event from, from Mary's life. Now, obviously, we're not Muslims. I'm not advocating that people adopt Islam or, or that Islam's this great religion now because they have all this stuff about Mary. I'm, I'm illustrating that people in the ancient Near East knew this story. They knew who Mary was. They knew the thing. This was common knowledge, so to speak. Um, it, it, it's sort of like... Um, Oh, you know, stories about the founding fathers of the country, okay? That's only 200 years ago, but more or less, we have pretty detailed information about the founding fathers of the United States and things that we know about them. And, you know, and it's like, well, where'd you hear that? I don't know. I've always just kind of known that. Everybody knows that. How'd you know George Washington had wooden teeth? Well, you know, everybody knows that. It's just kind of one of those things. Well, there's stories like that about Mary. And one of these stories that... People, you know, do you know how hard it is to get people to agree to lie about something uh, 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 thousands of years before the creation of cell phones, internet, and 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 postage and things like that, where you can you can't oh, I'm communicate. Glad, I'm glad you said uh, you put that disclaimer in there because I was about to say it's pretty easy. Well, yeah, no, it, <laughs> but but eventually the lie gets out. There's going to be people right. who, you know, well, this guy told me to lie about this or whatever, but. I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about she's not mentioned this event is not mentioned in any of the early councils because it wasn't controversial the councils are there to settle a controversy there's this group of bishops over here who are saying that jesus was like an apparition he was he looked like a human being but he wasn't really a human being well that contradicts what what has always been understood about christ so we got to settle this. So they call a council and they hash it out. What's interesting to me is uh, almost 2,000 years after the events that take place in the, in, the, in the four Gospels, Pope Pius XII out to the bishops asking what they think. And there's still no controversy. It's just sort of known that this is the story. And everybody, you know, what is the controversy here? So that's why I think you don't see a lot of of mention of this in the early days of something that's controversial because there were multiple witnesses to it. Well, and 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 let me add, real quick though before I mm -hmm. add on to that. Now this is from Wikipedia, so take it for what it's worth. Uh -oh. it, it, it does say, just to kind of redeem myself, while the Quran does not name any woman except for Mary directly, women do play a role in many of its stories. So according to Wikipedia, Mary is the only woman named in, in the Quran. Wow, okay, oh, my bad, my bad. 
Yeah, yeah, you're bad. Yeah, well, that's uh, I'm I'm also hey. not an Isla- I'm also not an Islamic theologian, just and, so you know. Well, in all fairness, I'm usually wrong nine times out of ten, anyway. But <laughs> he caught me on the one. It's good that we started this podcast then, so we can disseminate our errors throughout the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but 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 going back to your point about this not being a controversial topic, I believe that it that part of the reason it's become controversial in recent times, and, I, and I'm not talking necessarily the past 70 years, I'm talking about, you know, obviously uh, back in the 1500s, even then, right? Because it goes back as, uh, as he writes, Pope Pius XII writes, the assumption of Mary is implied in her immaculate conception. Mm. And as you have the, the Protestant Reformation and other, you know, smaller heresies before that, you had people deny original sin venial you know that there's a difference in venial mortal sin and so in order to accept accept the assumption you you have to accept the immaculate conception because it naturally proceeds from that oh yeah and if you don't mind let me let me read a couple things uh to you here that i thought were you know really good one from uh muni tificissimus deus <laughs> and the you other give, from, give it give it another try Mooney Ten Feces. I don't know. MD. <laughs> hey, good enough, good enough. Good enough. To to all two of our listeners out there, um, I struggle with English words, so um, <laughs> I do too. Other I mean, languages, I do more. I don't think either of us have pronounced that encyclical correct yet on this podcast. No, but the anyway. Vatican's going to write us a letter about it. Oh, please do, please <laughs> do. I um, need as a return address, Jason, because I got some things to say. But anyway, go ahead. So, but I wanted to read something from that, and then I also wanted to read something from um, from Saint John Henry Newman, a really, really good book. If if you haven't had it, and anybody that may be listening, Meditations on Mary, Our Mother. Okay. They're short, uh, either writing letters that he write, or meditations, or or sermons that he may have given, and they're they're usually just a page or two, right? Okay. But anyway, Pope Pius XII writes about the Immaculate Conception being closely related. Now, God has willed that the Blessed Virgin Mary should be exempted from this general rule. She, by an entirely unique privilege, completely overcame sin by her Immaculate Conception. And as a result, she was not subject to the law of remaining in the corruption of the grave, and she did not have to wait until the end of time for the redemption of her body. So he mm. makes a really good case there about why those are, and he goes into more detail, anybody that wants to read the, the apostolic constitution, <clears throat> but going to John Henry Newman here, it's, it's somewhat long, but I'll, I'll cut out a lot of it. Now feel free to call any, you want to quote John Henry Newman on my podcast. You got all the time <laughs> you want, buddy. So he goes, uh, by her immaculate conception is meant that not only did she never commit any sin whatever, even venial, in thought, word, or deed, but further than this, that the guilt of Adam, or what is called original sin, never was her guilt, as it is the guilt attaching to all other descendants of Adam. By her assumption is meant that not only her soul, but her body also, was taken up to heaven upon her death. And I skip down here a little bit. And it says, Adam and Eve were created upright and sinless. He had a large measure of God's grace bestowed upon him. And in consequence, their bodies would never have crumbled into dust 
had they not sinned, upon which it was said to them, Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. If Eve, the beautiful daughter of God, never would have become dust and ashes unless she had sinned, shall we not say that Mary, having never sinned, retained the gift which, eat, which Eve, <clears throat> by sinning, lost? What had Mary done to forfeit the privilege given to our first parents in the beginning? Was her comeliness to be turned into corruption, and her fine gold to become dim without reason assigned? Impossible. Mm. Mm. Yeah. John Henry Newman laying it down. Well, you know, that that's true because it, we're talking about, about the difference between the old ark and the new ark. The old ark, I, I don't know what happened to it, but whatever, it got melted down or maybe it's hiding somewhere under the Temple Mount or something like that. But in the Ethiopia. point is, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The Ethiopian Orthodox have it. Uh, that's what they claim, you know. Yeah. Um, but but the point is is that it its glory faded because the things that it held were not the essence of itself. It, they were symbols of those things. Aaron's staff was a symbol of 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 divine priesthood. It wasn't a divine priest itself, right? Aaron's staff was a staff. It couldn't, you know, it had no power in and of itself other than the power that God gives it, gives it uh, those who hold it uh, worthily. Um, similarly to the manna which falls down from heaven. Yeah, the manna is special. It's, it's different than other bread. It's not the human hands, but if you eat it, it will fill you up and you'll make it through the desert probably, but you're still going to die one day, right? Right. Um, the law that the, the law of Moses, it is the it is the word of God spoken by God to Moses, but it's not the physical incarnation of that law. They're still stone tablets. And all of these things, the, the manna from heaven, the stone tablets, the staff of Aaron, these things are just symbols. But when we go back to and so, of course, the, the, the old Ark of the Covenant's glory will fade. But the new covenant, Christ, Christ is the new covenant. Christ's glory never fades. Christ's glory is eternal. And if that's true, then the Ark that holds that Christ, the Ark that holds that covenant, never it, her glory never fades either. And I think John Henry Newman obviously just said it in a much more eloquent way than I ever could, but I mean, I can't help but make that connection. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, it makes sense. And I think going back to the Protestants, uh, the feast of the Assumption of Mary was retained by the Lutheran Church after the Reformation. Now they they just called it Saint Mary, Mother of the Lord, on August fifteenth. They don't call it the Assumption. And um, have they always the, have they always called it that, or is that just a, well, they, a change they, in recent years, like like maybe the past fifty hundred whatever years? Yeah, I think that's just a change in recent years. And there's there's a story out there that I don't know how accurate this is that many Lutherans retained the feast of the Assumption while recognizing it as a speculation rather than a dogma. But one of the thing I think is interesting is do you know who um, Heinrich Bullinger was? Doesn't sound familiar. So he was a he was a a, a protege of uh, uh, of Zwingli during the Reformation okay. in the Church of Zurich, um, and he in 1539 he wrote a polemical treatise against idolatry, and he expressed his belief 
that Mary's sacrosanctum corpus, her sacrosanct body, had been assumed into heaven by angels. And he writes, quote, um, and I'm going to quote some Latin here. It's kind of sad <laughs> when, the, when the Protestant reformers speak more Latin than um, the modern-day Catholic Church. But anyway, uh, hoc causa critimus ut deperare virginis Maria purissimum thalamum et spiritus sancti templum hoc est sacrosanctum corpus eos deportatum esse ab angelis in celum, which means, for this reason, we believe that the Virgin Mary, begetter of God, the most pure bed and temple of the Holy Spirit, that is, her most holy body, was carried to heaven by angels. Now, that is a contemporary of um, of Huldrych Zwingli. Not, not exactly a, 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 rad, a radical trad Catholic, right? This is, this is a, a Swiss reformer. Um, so, you know, that, there's, there's something to be said that the idea that this is a divide about Protestants and, and Catholics, I mean, if you can't even get Heinrich Bullinger to deny, <laughs> to deny the assumption of the Virgin Mary, um, that to me is pretty credible evidence that this is just not something that is particularly controversial in the truth of the deposit of faith. And, you know... That's, well, that's yeah, just, and I I just asked how recent they if they changed that name recently because you you know you you read you read things like that <clears throat> and sometimes you can see how far um, at least in the high uh, higher church, Protestant churches you can kind of see um, the higher liturgy you can kind of see how they faded away from their original beliefs. Of course, right. I guess that's a natural progression when you fall away from the the truth it's just natural to continue down that path, which is, yeah. you know, why every day we should be praying for the conversion of, of sinners and, and, and those who are not Catholic. Yeah. And, and for the, for the, uni for the, for the unification of all Christians into the Catholic church. I, um, I don't know if you knew this, but then in, in 2004, okay. So normally I hate ecumenism. Um, because ecumenism is a is a fancy Greek word, which means you're about to become less Catholic. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's not really what the Greek word means. But that's seems to be. Oh, what it I was writing it into. down. So yeah, think, uh, <laughs> scratch that out. There was this thing called the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission, which just by the name of that already makes me want to crawl out of my skin. However, however. <laughs> However, in 2004, they released a, quote, non-authoritative declaration, which is something, you know, it's just sort of, sort of a statement, an agreed statement, right? It's called the Seattle Statement. And the Seattle Statement concludes that, quote, the teaching about Mary in the two definitions of the Assumption and the Immaculate Conception understood within the biblical pattern of the economy of hope and grace can be said to be consonant with the teaching of the scriptures, common traditions. So, this is not, um, I, I think to deny the assumption of Mary actually puts you on shakier ground than certainly than believing it, because uh, to, to deny the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, you are not basing this on any sacred tradition, you're not basing this on history, there's nothing in the scripture which definitively says it didn't happen. No, and there's yeah, actually you're out there on your own basically. Some, sometimes it's the question isn't 
why should you believe it? You know, certain things. Sometimes you need to ask yourself, okay, why shouldn't I believe it? The assumption, yeah. the assumption doesn't take away from the glory of God or Christ. It actually makes it even greater because we can see uh, through Mary God's power to, you know, we saw it in Christ's resurrection, but we also see the fulfillment of God's promises in Mary to us and through his power to one day hopefully bring us body and soul into heaven. And it doesn't contradict scripture. It doesn't contradict any tradition. And and like you were saying, there, if you deny it, you're contradicting early Christians who actually live closer to the time that you know, um, people believed in the assumption than, than, than today. There are, there are going to be things, look, our Lord chose to initiate the events of his incarnation, his walking amongst us, his crucifixion, death, and resurrection at a certain time in human history. This was a time before video cameras, before uh, DVD and DVR and audio recorders, before podcasters, thank God. <laughs> um, and it was a, he chose to initiate these events at a time in which most of history is relayed by stories, word of mouth, okay? Now, if that is, if it's true that we can't believe these stories because they're not, we don't have any independent historical sources, then what that means is that God chose to initiate the most significant events in all of human history, and he did it at a time in which we can't really know anything about it, so it's almost like it didn't even happen. Right. Uh, I think God has a little bit more foresight than that. I'm going ahead and give the benefit of the doubt to the Holy Ghost that he knows what he's doing, and that, That's the, safe. And that by a special grace of the Holy Ghost, the the deposit of faith is preserved um, in ways that other things other and there are other stories about other things that would be corrupted over time with innovations and things like that. But by a special grace of the Holy Ghost, the deposit of faith is preserved from error in the Catholic Church. I'm going to go ahead and give because the alternative to that is, um, yeah. You can't really know what to believe and what not to believe because everything that's written down in the Bible comes to the authors of the Bible from an oral story. So now you can't even believe those stories and nobody knows what to believe and what you can and can't believe. And we can't really know anything about it. Also, it was the most important event in human history. Your salvation rests on it. Good luck. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sorry. That, that just, that sounds very cruel of God to do that to us. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and give the benefit of the doubt to the Holy Ghost that he knows how to transmit the truth to us and um, that the Catholic Church has, has defined this as a doctrine and it's something that the church has always believed. So it makes sense. Um, you know, I do with that what you will, but that's that's the way I look at it. Well, and, and we mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast that, you know, we, we have writings uh, from the early church um, but we also have liturgies. The liturgies in both the East and West go back, um, you know, to, to centuries. Yeah, centuries. And and the Millennia. feast and the feast of the Assumption has gone has gone back to the ancient church. And it's you one know, of the first feasts of the church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and Pope Pius XII writes. You know, he 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 mentions in his uh, Apostolic Constitution. He mentions that 
the you know the liturgy of the church doesn't cause or give rise to the Catholic faith, but it rather springs from it. Indeed. So, I, I you know, we, we've been talking about the, you know, the, the assumption, or as our Eastern uh, brethren call it, the dormition of the Theotokos. Mm-hmm. From what from the Byzantine liturgy, I, I'm not sure how far it goes back, but in, in the Byzantine uh, liturgy, is this they, the liturgy of Saint John Chrysostom? Yes, it should be. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it says uh, in there, uh, so he writes here, the assumption is connected time and time again with the dignity of the mother of God, but also with the other privileges, and in particular with the virginal motherhood granted by a singular degree of God's providence. Mm. You, you didn't already read that, did you? It sounds kind of familiar. No, I didn't read that. Oh, okay, okay, I, okay. I just want to make sure, because I was like, well, that kind of sounds familiar. Let me make sure I'm not repeating myself. But it, but it goes on from the uh, Byzantine liturgy. God, the king of the universe, has granted you favors that surpass nature. Of course, it's talking about the Blessed Virgin. As he kept you a virgin in childbirth, thus he has kept your body incorrupt in the tomb and has glorified it by his divine act of transferring it from the tomb. So this isn't just some medieval... Uh-huh. Papis, um, fi- popery uh, piece of fiction. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's not medieval popery. Yeah. So you know, it, and, and it's not that hard to go and look at the other liturgies of of East and West and see that in all the different rites. I mean, this feast goes way back. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. No, it's 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 one of the. If it's not the first feast of the church, it's one of the first one of the first to be celebrated by the early church. Right. Um, you know, obviously, well, Easter, I think obviously would be the first feast, uh, the, 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 the first and biggest feast of the church. But I think, you know, in terms of non, uh, well, I shouldn't say non Jesus feast. That's a wrong way to think about it. Isn't it? Did I mention that we're not professional theologians? Um, in, in terms of Marian feasts, what's uh, professional mean? Yeah. What is, <laughs> big word, spell it, spell it. I dare you. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, okay, we're we're an hour and thirteen minutes here, so we've gone longer than I wanted to, but I'm glad we went as long as we wanted to because I thought this was a good discussion. No, um, I'm, no, I'm having a, a great time doing it, you know, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, you know, as our prayers were that we're we're honoring our mother or yeah, our mother and and Jesus's mother and the Queen of Heaven as best as possible. You know, I think I can't imagine where my life would be without a devotion to the blessed Virgin Mary. And in, in every time in which, cause there've been times in my life, I stray from the church. Uh, you know, the, the, the Catholic church will do something. I'll get mad at it and I'll say, ah, oh, that's, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, this is, this is stupid. I'm, I'm wasting my time. You know, the, the church is being run by a bunch of four star clowns. They're going to end up giving the whole circus away. I'm done. You know, I, I, I've been there. Um, and it's always our lady who keeps bringing me back. There was a time when I stopped practicing Catholicism for a long time, um, you know, seven, eight years, probably, I, I didn't say a word to God. And the thing that got me coming back was the rosary. I started for some reason to say the rosary again. Now, I can't tell you what it was that pushed me in that direction or, or why I chose to start there. I mean, there's some other things going on that were that I could feel God sort of tugging me back, but that was the door through which I 
eventually went back to the sacraments, made a good confession, started to attend mass again and started getting back to becoming a practicing Catholic. And it's always been like that throughout my whole life. There's always been, um, I, I can remember one of my first memories when I was a child was my grandmother, who was a devoutly Irish Catholic woman, um, uh, Dorothy Carrick, uh, God rest her soul. Um, and she had this small statue, this little plastic statue of the Virgin Mary in her house in which I'd go over there and we'd, we'd spend time together and she would raise me in the faith more or less. But that little statue of the Virgin Mary always, I always associated such good and wholesome things with that, that whenever I see an image of Our Lady, it brings, it, it brings back such a flood of positive emotions. And I know that that's not what everything's about. I know it's not all about emotions, but it, I can't help but the fact that there's always just been something about Our Lady that I feel her maternal care in my life. I can sense it. And she is always leading me back to Christ. And, it, and that's the thing, like we were talking about earlier, are we deifying Mary? No, because if we were, we would stop at worshiping. We would worship Mary and stop there. But Mary's not going to have that. Our Lady doesn't want to be worshipped. Our Lady wants to point us, just like she does at the wedding at Cana, do whatever he tells you. That's what Our Lady wants us to do. She wants us to do whatever he, meaning Christ, tells us. And um, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, I like I'm to... tearing up just thinking about it. But yeah, it's <laughs> no, just, it's, no, it's, a, it's definitely a good, uh, good story. And and you know, you are right. You know, sometimes we have to be careful how we let our emotions in what direction they carry us you know because you have a lot of uh our protestant brethren who uh believe believe in things that aren't true or 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 whatnot because they believe you know the holy spirit is guiding them that way but i will say how do we determine what emotions are good and which ones are bad well, we have a church to guide us, and the church tells us that our Blessed Mother does help her children. She does bring us back to Christ, and she ultimately helps us glorify Christ. Mm. So, mm. so you know, without the church, you can really get lost in those emotions. And that's, that's one, one of the many things I love about the church and what I've loved about becoming Catholic is I have those guardrails if I listen to them keep me in line and on the straight and narrow. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, are you, are you a, are you a daily rosary guy? I, what am I talking about? Of course you are. I know you're a daily rosary. Yeah. Guy. You know what? I, I can't lie to you. I try to do it every day. I'm not going to say I'm perfect on it, but I try to, as Taylor Marshall says, I, I do my best to be on the team every day. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, 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 no one is, uh, is perfect in their, in their devotions. Trust me. I'm, I'm in that way too, but um, the rosary and, and, and the assumption is one of the mysteries of the rosary. It is, it is the fourth glorious mystery. And um, how far does that go back? That's not a recent right, invention that's either. That's another good point example, right there. Perfect example. Um, and uh, I, I, I do get a lot of um, grace in, in, my, in my personal, my spiritual life from daily rosary and uh, just a, a devotion to Our Lady in general. Um, and I think that that's something that every Catholic should cultivate without fear, without hesitation. Um, 
And as, as like you just said, if you, if you use the church as the guide, you will not have an improper devotion to Our Lady. I think a lot of people worry about that. Well, yeah. I, I want to have this devotion to Our Lady, but I'm 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 scared. I'm going to elevate her too much, and I'm going to I'm going to make her into a god, and I don't want to do that. And I, don't don't worry about that. She's not going to let that happen. If you have a devotion to Our Lady, she's going to point you to Christ, because that's all she's ever done. And that's that's what she wants for you. She wants you to be perfectly united to Christ the way she is perfectly united to Christ. And 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 you're right. If you're if you're listening to the church, the church will condemn you quick and fast if you try to worship Mary, because right. the church is very clear on only God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Blessed Trinity, are worthy of our worship. Absolutely. Um, Okay, it's an hour. It's I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, I just <clears throat> before uh, I, I know we're coming up on well over. What I mean, we, we're not on a hard week. timeline, but I don't want people yeah. to tune out. Yeah, because no, I no. Sound like, <laughs> by the way, by the way, you listen. Do you listen to this podcast? I listen to it. I sound. I sound like somebody who smokes ten thousand cigarettes a day, and I don't smoke. I don't understand why I sound like that. Well, so sounds- the people that. To the people who have to listen to this podcast, I apologize, but well, I, I sound like I've been punching the nose, and my nose is all pinched <laughs> up, and <laughs> which That's, is which is actually which is actually true, which is uh, as, which is as, why I'm so uh, uh, muzzly sounding. Has Mrs. Mooney been hitting you? Has she been beating you? you know what? I, if if I say that on air and the wrong person hits it, I'm gonna have to <laughs> manage this house with five, almost six kids by myself. I'll take the abuse every day. Hi, Mrs. Mooney. If you're listening to this, we're sorry. Um, we're just no, kidding. I, no, I, I, I can't. I can't do it without her. No, I, I manage this house. You know, that's the way um, I feel about my wife, dude. I don't know how she puts up with 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 me, but she does, and God bless her. So, um, no, I, I just I just wanted to say, you know, as we do get to the end of this, I don't know if you kind of want to do a quick uh, sidetrack here. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do. Uh, uh, a quick overview of ex cathedra teachings, you know, what, what that is and how that plays into this. You know, I, I, I kind of thought about it, but of course I didn't know we were going to already go this long. So it's up to you, but, but just, j- just at the end here, you know, what does the assumption mean to us? We discussed it earlier. I love this quote from St. Augustine because, you know, the, the early fathers saw a parallel between Mary being the moon and Jesus being the sun, you know, mm. Mary being the, the Lat- in the Latin here, the Luna Sancta. St. Mm. Augustine says, And we have an image of this in the moon, waning and finally dying, only to be reborn and grow to the fullness of light. Behold, there's a symbol of the resurrection. Boom. Wow, that's powerful. Especially when you consider uh, Revelation 12. The woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet. That's um, that's a powerful meditation, and 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 I won't read and and I won't read this here because it is kind of long. But if anybody's interested, I would also read uh, from the from the Vatican II Council. Ooh, Vatican II. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> from Lunum Gentium number sixty-five. Um, it's it's really you know I I got half of it written down here, but I think it is it speaks pretty well. You know, just in the beginning here, I won't read the whole thing, but it says. While in the Most Holy Virgin, the church has already reached that perfection whereby she is without spot or wrinkle, the followers of Christ still strive to increase in holiness by conquering sin. 
And so they turn their eyes to Mary, who shines forth to the whole community of the elect as the model of virtues, piously meditating on her and contemplating her in the light of the word made man, the church with reverence enters more intimately into the great mystery of the incarnation and becomes more like her spouse. Mm. Anyway, I, I said I wasn't going to read it. I kind of lied. Sorry about that. But that's okay. That was but, a great. But, that's a great. Uh, that's a great quote from Lumen Gentium, man. But yeah, but just go. If anybody wants to go ahead and read number sixty-five. I don't know if that's how you properly say it, number sixty-five. But sixty-five and Lumen Gentium is 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 actually quite good. Jason, I'm confused because you're a traditionalist. You don't believe in Vatican II, and you so dissent, and you, uh, yeah, I'm confused. How in the world did you just quote Vatican II? Oh, oh, could it have been that a lot of that stuff is baseless that they believe about us? Oh, hmm, interesting. Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, if, if you're going to upset people and confuse people, to do it properly, you have to confuse both sides of the party. <laughs> you know? <laughs> If you can't tell, you know, my wife the other day told me, Mark, I would really appreciate it if you could communicate to me without using sarcasm. And I said, honey, I don't know how to do that. Sarcasm is how I do everything. You're um, like, what sarcasm? Yeah, what sarcasm? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I want to go ahead and close with um, a particularly beautiful prayer that um, I'm, I'm going to borrow from our brothers in the East. Um, this is from the canon to the Theotokos, um, Kontankion, tone number six. O advocate of Christians who cannot be put to shame, constant mediatrix before the creator, despise not the imploring voices of sinners, but in thy goodness advance to the aid of us who call to thee in faith, hasten to intercession, and speed thou to make supplication, thou who didst ever help them that honor thee, O mother of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Stretch forth thy hands, which with thou didst receive the Master of all as a babe. In the abundance of thy goodness, forsake not us who ever put our trust in thee. In thy prayerful vigilance and boundless forgiveness, have pity on us. Grant our souls thy loving kindness that floweth through the ages. For we sinners have thee as our defender against the besetting evils and adversities. As thou possessest bounteous compassion, Hasten to intercession, and speed thou to make supplication, O thou who dost ever help them that honor thee, O blessed Mother of God. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, I hope you all will return next week. Um, I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Well, I don't. I don't know, but but you know, for the listeners that have enjoyed it, we we do have some, I believe, really good topics coming up. Some that may may take a little bit more preparation, but we'll figure something out for next week. Oh, that reminds me, the last time for the first episode, we didn't have an email, but we got an email now. If you want to send us an email, send us an email to tradmenpodcast at gmail dot com. We are on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon music audible.com and podbean we're working on getting on itunes so stick with us and we'll hopefully well, and and we are also on twitter um if anybody's interested in interacting with us on there if you if you like what you've seen go ahead and give us a of course a follow and and everything on the the podcast platform but also twitter love to engage with anybody and uh i think that's all we got for this podcast hopefully we'll see you next week and uh 
I hope you all have a wonderful and blessed feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. May the Mother of God pray for us all and lead us to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you Amen. all for coming. Thank you. God week. bless. God bless. Bye. Oh, 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 oh